Have you ever found yourself in Kmart staring at a teal shag rug and thinking, hmm, that rug is the exact same shade as Yamadori? I need it. Well, then you're in the right place. Hello, hello, scribes and scribblers. Welcome to the Nib Section, the official podcast of Fountain Pens Oceania. Chuck, unfortunately, wasn't able to make it to this episode, but lest you are starved of puns in his absence, I have with me three fantastic co-hosts, starting with our resident Nibmeister, the double bold Tab himself. How are you, Tab? I'm fantastic. How are you, Di? I'm great. It's so good to hear your voice over the magic of the internet. Next up is our Lady of the Nakayas, Sharon Dar. How are you, Sharon? Currently looking forward to all of your dry puns, so I may need a little bit more lubrication as the night goes on. Yes, I think we're all in need of a little bit of lubrication. I'm already three, three glasses of wine down. We're, we're, um, we're, hang on, we're talking about silicon grease, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, oh. yeah. I don't know what you were thinking of. Like, you know, nibs are dry, right? And last with us is also our tireless audio technician, the ever-present Patrick. Patrick, how are you tonight? Hi, I am infinitely less stressed because I'm not lugging around a whole bunch of stuff. I am actually happily within the confines of my study, and this is a decent setup that I'm perfectly okay with. I don't have to see anyone. I don't have to work out where I'm going to be. I'm just here doing my thing, and hopefully it won't end up horrible at the other end. (laughs) For the first time, listeners, we are recording from the comfort of our own studies. And I am Diana Dye. Let's just leave it at that. Fearless this episode leader. There is we a... <laughs> Fearless leader. Okay. This episode is a deep dive into the topic of fountain pen nibs. We'll be covering the basics, what nibs are made of, what grinds they come in, from the common to the most rare and exotic. We'll also look at the topic of flex nib, a passion of one of our presenters, and what is all the hype about vintage flex, and just what's so great about nib variation. We'll also try to answer some of your nib-related questions. But let's start off with what we're writing with. Tav? I am currently writing with a Visconti Homo Sapiens, the Sterling Silver Trim Edition, with a double broad nib and I'm using Pelican Smoky Quartz ink in it. Did you get that ink from the hub? I actually did, yes. I got that from the hub. I was very much, very pleased to receive that, and it's a, it's a big hit at, uh, at the workplace now. I'm using it every day, all day at work. Do you find that it's a little bit on the yellowish brown scale? And that's the, so that's probably. It is. It's, uh, my colleagues have remarked, they keep calling it golden, not brown. And I'm like, well, it is brown. It's a golden brown. They're like, no, it's gold. That's a nice way of putting it. (laughs) Golden brown. Yeah, no, it's, yeah, I I think it's, it is, you're right. It is on the yellower end of brown, but it depends on the paper I found. Some papers it's much lighter and some it's really a dark earthy color. Oh, great. Um, How about you, Sharon? What are you writing with tonight? Well, since we're talking about flex and all things flexy nib related, I have brought out my hardest nail of a pen. So I am writing today with a Carandash hexagon in the carbon fiber finish. So this was probably a pen from the early 2000s. I want to say. I don't think it's made anymore. It's got probably the most rigid nib I've ever used. And so it's a great pen for exams or when you want to write without any flex. Just want to get the job done. And it's currently inked with uh, Sailor Pen Lux Cobalt Blue. So it's eye-searing blue. This, this, this hexagon is um, it's probably one of my favourite pens. I, I've, I've never seen a pen like it. It's got a bit of a cult following. It's not very well known, but it, it's, it's really something special. Um, and it's, 
it's a real tragedy that it isn't made anymore. You and Julian are both big fans of the hexagon, I've found. Not just not just Julian. I believe Jonathan is as well. And, and a bunch of people around that sort of been either customers or who have worked for uh, Pens Deluxe. It's just such an, an iconic pen uh, and it really captures the essence of Karen Dash. Um, in, the, in that hexagonal shape. So, Sharon, um, does your hexagonal, is it lacquered or is it metal surface? So mine is a rhodium trim with carbon fibre in it. So oh, I know you have a lacquer version where yes. you've got the brilliant tortoise, like the deep red tortoise ekai on yours. Mine has carbon fibre on those same sides. Oh, of course. And so the thing with the hexagonals I found is that I've got two of them, actually. I've got two of the same pen. But this one that I've got is an earlier version. So it's got the more streamlined flat nib. It almost looks like a Lamy style nib where it's Mm -hmm. just completely flat up the top and it's very rigid. The later hexagonals actually come with the size, I think it's the size 5 or the size 4 Karandash nibs, which have the scroll work on the top. Now I'm tempted to go and grab my hexagonal and check which nib it has. But, I think you have uh, the old style, same as, same so? as mine. Yeah, I think uh, so. The, what I like about the hexagonal is it it's the same basic body design as the, the more current Ecuador, but the Ecuador I think mainly comes in steel nibs, whereas the hexagonal comes in a greater variety of finishes and has the gold nibs. Yeah, absolutely. And the craftsmanship on the hexagonal is just fantastic. It's such a sleek, understated pen. It's got a click cap so Mm -hmm. it clicks really nicely and great little pen beautiful for people who like smaller slim very elegant pens although i will say my older one writes a little bit drier so the sailor ink the sailor penlux ink currently in it just makes it so much nicer oh great so next up patrick what are you writing with i'm writing with one of the ones that i always rip anything on about as being one of my favorites it's currently the lamy joy i hadn't used it for a long time and it had gotten a little bit caked up but i've recently flushed out and refilled it i'm currently got a 1.9 millimeter stub nib on as I wanted to do because as broad as it will be I will be and also um <laughs> I think it's burped a little bit in the cap and well I am currently now wearing bookbinder snake ink red belly black all over my hands and we're barely oh, no. <laughs> and we're barely 15 minutes into the podcast this uh, this sums me up perfectly but yeah blame uh, it on the humidity I should actually I live in an apartment that doesn't actually have any air conditioning so I would have thought you you'd want to save what red belly black you have left just well, because it's continued it, and it, it is discontinued, but true, but it's my favorite ink. So mm. what's the point? And Dilemma. In my mind, what's the point of having a favorite or something if you're not going to use it? I mean, one can argue... Use okay, it sparingly. Well, perhaps, but I'm the type of person where like, I never truly know if I'm going to have a time where I'm not going to be able to like mm. use it or like or a time yeah. where it will be you're more d- significant to use it. it you're a dessert it's... first kind of person. Oh, I love that. It's just in, Patrick eats ice cream for breakfast. <laughs> That is a perfect description of Patrick, I think. I'm an adult. (laughs) I feel personally attacked by all of this. Although, admittedly, I'm reasonable. Okay, I don't mean to be mean about this, Chuck. I love you, but at least you're not here to make fun of me for using a steel nib again. Um, Oh my god, Patrick's using another steel nib. (laughs) Oh, we were going to mention it, but now that you've brought it up. Let's just keep a tally. This is the first mention, right? Uh, (laughs) Yes. Keep the tally, Sharon. Um, Well, I'm not using a steel nib. I'm using an Aurora Optima tonight. It's got an extra fine nib. But I find the Aurora Extra Fines, they tend to vary quite a lot in size. Um, some of them are really dry and quite difficult to use. This one's incredibly juicy. It's 
comparable, I'd say, with a Pelican Extra Fine, but with that nice hint of Aurora feedback, which I love. And it's inked with one of the boring black inks that I have, although it's made by Kobe. So it's on the upper echelon of black inks. It's called Tau Black. Does that one sheen? I don't think it does. I mean, I haven't found many black inks that sheen. Red Belly Black being one of the few exceptions. A couple of the Sailor Blacks or like the grey blacks that they do have a bit of silver or red sheen to them. I haven't noticed it on this particular one, but it's a very wet and quite a deep black um, with a bit of grey to it, which I really like actually. Let's move on next to what exactly is a fountain pen nib? Fountain pen nibs come in all sorts of shapes, the flat ones, rounded ones, hooded ones, tubular nibs, and etc. They all have basic, you know, structural properties. They have a metal bit and they have a feedy bit and there's ink that goes through the whole thing. But there is so much variety. And when you go to buy your first fountain pen, there's always seems to be a lot of choice beyond the fine, the medium and the bold. So we're here to try and hopefully clarify some of those complications. Um, And we have luckily with us two people who know quite a lot about nibs, um, Tav and Sharon. So let's get into it. Let's start with nib materials. Tav, what are the main materials that nibs are made of? The metals. Well, the most common material used in fountain pens is stainless steel. Patrick. Don't you give me that. Uh, but uh, I'll give you whatever I want, honey. A noble so stainless steel, <laughs> uh, yeah, stainless steel. Look, stainless steel is cheap. It's functional. It does the trick. So the vast majority of fountain pen nibs these days are made of stainless steel. The reason why a lot of vintage nibs are not made of stainless steel is because the technology required to make alloys of stainless steel that were resistant to rusting over a long period of time and resistant to acidic inks, it it didn't exist until relatively recently. So in order to combat that, pens were made, well, they used to call them pens, actually. The pen in old fountain pen speak was actually the nib. They used to call the gold or the metal bit of the of the fountain pen the pen and the body what we call the body would be called the holder so they would talk about waterman holders and parker holders with a solid gold pen i just googled randomly on on um on google when stainless steel was discovered and so stainless steel was invented by some gentleman called really in 1913 so that would have been when fountain pens was just coming i think into common use um, um is that they would have been in use for about maybe 10 or 10 or 15 years regularly yeah um they wouldn't have been 100 percent mainstream but at the time there's dif- see, there's different types of stainless steel there's different grades of it there's different alloys it's not just one particular mix of metal so you can get some stainless steels that are more or less resistant to different types of chemicals corrosion Mm -hmm. and whilst this and no no steel technically is actually 100% stainless every steel will react it's it's a matter of the reactivity of the metal and and I heard you mentioned before die noble metal and steel is not technically a noble metal but gold is well it's it's true gold is sometimes referred to colloquially as a a a noble metal because it Mm -hmm. it is very non-reactive it's really difficult to get to react uh, which is why gold jewelry has been you know used for people who have acidic skin why gold has been used in primitive medical devices and and fillings and such Mm -hmm. because it is very resistant to chemical attack Uh, and for the same reason it's been used in fountain pen nibs for you know 
since the very beginning. But stainless steel, I, I have some very old stainless steel nibs and they have been corroded by inks. And yet I have some other modern stainless steel nibs that you could pretty much dunk in hydrochloric acid and they'd be fine. Oh, so it, it really depends on the, on the technology that's been developed to make that particular alloy that's making that nib. Of course, there's no general, like one single recipe for stainless steel. Stainless steel is a exactly, exactly. over time. So the other metal that you see fountain pen nibs commonly made out of is gold in various alloys yeah so and that's a, that's another thing is a lot of people maybe don't quite understand the carrot system and uh, what it is uh, I'll, I'll just quickly give a brief rundown and so you'll see 14 carat what that means is that 14 parts out of 24 are gold mm-hmm. so 14 24ths and you'll often see 14 carat 585 what that means it's 14 carat 58.5% of this is gold. The rest is other stuff. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, if you see 18 carat 750, that means 75.0% of the nib is made out of gold. The rest is other metals. But it doesn't say so it might be. those other metals are. No, and, and different companies, different uh, countries have different alloys made. And so that's why some people are wondering why are some nibs different? Why, do, why does a 14 carat sailor nib feel different and look different in terms of color to a vintage 14 carat waterman nib, you know? And the difference is not the gold that's in it, but what's not gold. Mm, the filler that's, that, that's what makes, yeah, it's not just necessarily filler materials. Gold alloys aren't just made to dilute the gold. Of course, that has the effect, mm-hmm. but also they're made to enhance the characteristics of the nib. So sometimes they'll make it stronger. They'll make it more resistant to work hardening, which can cause cracking in nibs. It'll make it more resistant to breakage. Um, sometimes it'll make it softer. Sometimes it'll make it harder. When you make an alloy, just like in stainless steel, which is iron with other metals added into it, you end up with, if it's a properly made alloy, People there are people who do this for a living that develop alloys where the metals complement each other and you end up with something that's greater than the sum of its parts. I've seen... So in in terms of gold nibs, you have the most common ones are 14 carat and 18 carat. Those are the most common gold nibs that you see around, but you also see Sailor making 21 carat gold nibs. So they would be 20 parts out of 24 gold, which is mostly gold in that sense. Yeah. Is there any difference in performance, do you find, between, say, a 21 carat gold nib and something that has much less gold, 14 carat for example? I think the only way you'd be able to um, determine that is if you got Sailor, for example, to make a 14 carat, an 18 carat, and a 21 carat nib all exactly with the same shape, the same imprint, and the same um, other metals in it. Yeah. Because otherwise, um, if you look at the, if you were to somehow um, determine the makeup of an ST Dupont 18 carat nib and compare it to the makeup of, say, a Bock 18 carat nib, you'd probably find that the other metals in there that aren't gold are totally different. And also you'll find that the, the shape of the nib is different. So it's very hard to compare a 14 carat nib with a 21 carat nib unless they're exactly the same shape um, and, and manufacturer. And I will say, <laughs> yeah, it, it really is. And, and I, actually, I don't, having owned Sailor nibs that are 14 carat and that are 21 carat that are the exact same shape, you will see a little bit more softness some of the time with 21 carats. But that being said, stuff can be done to nibs that are very high percentage gold to make them quite stiff. I owned a 21 carat extra fine Sailor 
that was very, very stiff. And I assumed that that had to do with the thickness of the material of the nib and the way it was shaped. So something that I've noticed while we're talking about nibs that are more or less the same shape and design on the Omas Ojivas, the more recent ones, so the ones that I think came out in 2016 and so on, the Omas Ojivas, they come with regular nibs and they also come with the extra flexible nibs, which are the ones that are designed to flex and they have like longer and thinner tines. But the, sh- the shape of the nib more or less are the same. And I think on the regular non-flexing nibs, those are 18 carat, whereas the extra flexible nibs, which are designed to be softer and give you less resistance to flex, those ones are 14 carat instead. And I assume that's to make them less prone to breakage. I mean, would that be a good assumption? In in part, yes. The reason why I believe that 14 carat nibs are more conducive to flexibility is a number of factors. One of them is gold isn't flexible. It's soft. In fact, steel is way more flexible than gold because flexibility is defined as a material's ability. Well, I mean, I'm sure there's an engineer who can in the audience who's going to be like screaming at his screen going, that's not exactly what it means. <laughs> <laughs> At least in, in, in fountain pen terms, a metal is flexible when it can return to its original shape after being deformed. So if you look at a spring, springs are flexible. They're not normally made out of gold. So flexibility, if you compress a spring until it's way out of its shape, Mm-hmm. And then you let go, it will return to its original shape. So that's flexibility. So what we're looking at here with a 14 carat nib is that the other metals in there are likely there to enhance the flexibility because, as I said, gold is not flexible. And on the other hand, the 18 carat gold will be softer. However, they would have had to add some other metals in it to actually stiffen it up so it doesn't deform too easily. So you don't end up with it acting like a piece of Play-Doh where if you press on it, it'll just kind of stay that way. Because pure gold will often stay that way. If you put a dent in it with your fingernail, it'll just stay that way. You, you can actually, uh, with gold, you can you can press your fingernail into it and it will leave a dent, which mm-hmm. is softness and it's not actually flexibility. So, so does, in, that, does that answer your question? Yeah, it, it really does. What's fascinating is because within the community, you, you have a lot of these generalizations, you know, um, gold nibs are softer than steel nibs. Gold nibs are more flexible than steel nibs. The higher the gold content, the, the more bouncier or whatever advantageous quality um, the nibs is supposed to have. But really, I think what you find is it, there are so many other contingent factors the shape of the nib, the design that it's been molded into, the exact ratio of other materials that are in the nib besides gold or steel. And all these things, they they vary the quality, the writing properties of the nib. And it's, so it's very hard to make some generalizations in actual fact. Yeah, very much so. And uh, I think also modern manufacturing processes are not conducive to flexibility. Um, a lot of the time, well, in the olden days, they were manufactured in slightly different ways. And as such, they had slightly different properties. Whereas now the modern gold manufacturing process is very industrialized. There's very little hand work in it. So um, because of that, the, the way that they are stamped out of sheet metal as opposed to forged can actually impact their um, their flexibility. And of course, there is the fact that most companies don't like to make flexible nibs because the average ballpoint user who's just making his first foray into fountain pens is liable to snap one or to bend yeah. one and then take it back and ask for a refund, which is no you're, good for anyone. You're opening yourself up to a lot of trouble. <laughs> I'm just, look, no, genuinely, I don't think many of our listeners would be doing that. What I mean is just a person who's never used a fountain pen before is used to ballpoints 
and, and I've seen it happen where, you know, somebody borrows your pen and the first thing they do is press really hard because they don't think it's working properly. And, and if it was a flexible nib, if it was a softer nib, then you'd see a lot of damage happen, a lot more damage happening than um, is oh, already it's, happening. It's, to it's not just yeah. um, amateurs or um, newcomers because I've accidentally sprung um, an OMAS nib. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've, I've damaged nibs. I've damaged nibs before as well. I think I think it's if you've been collecting pens for long enough, I think it's one of those things that happens. But I think a lot of pen companies are trying to avoid that by making the nibs as rigid as rigid and durable as possible. And some are taking the risk of making it a little bit more flexible to try and open up their market to these people who would really like something with a flexible nib. Okay, um, let's go into flex in depth a little bit later. But to finish off the metals that nibs are made of, um, so less commonly, I think you see also nibs made out of metals like palladium, titanium, even some that are made of platinum, as well as brass. And this is the outliner, I suppose, glass nibs. I, I don't think myself, I don't consider glass nibs glass nib pens i don't consider them to be fountain pens oh believe um, but... me they're not mm. <laughs> yes okay we're going back to the wink are we i would rather not but <laughs> let's leave the wink aside for now but talking about um, more unusual metals palladium titanium and platinum for example what would be the well, advantages of using those let, metals? Let me just say, actually, um, during the 30s, when there was a shortage of steel and gold, there was a company called Spores, S-P-O-R-S, that made these dainty, cute, little, colourful, crescent-filled fountain pens with distinctive, colourful glass nibs. And I have a number of them, and they are, they are definitely fountain pens. They're filled with a bladder like a Conklin Crescent filler. And most of them write pretty well. The only problem is restoring them is a pain in the backside. But I consider them fountain pens because at the end of the day, they rely on capillary action. They take fountain pen ink mm -hmm. and they write. So, so yes, glass nibs are a thing. I don't know about okay. the wink pen. I've never tried one. Yeah, I think it was an attempt to revive a vintage sort of thing. And I know there is another custom pen maker who makes very, very expensive glass nibbed pens. And I believe Visconti mm -hmm. also makes them they make a dip pen with glass and they also used to make their ragtime fountain pen with a glass nib so oh really yeah glass, glass is definitely a glass. thing yeah it, it, yeah it was a i think it was a piston fill and it had a, a glass a brown sort of an amber glass nib while we're on <laughs> the yeah, so topic of Visconti's, I know that they also have a chromium nib. Is that just a fancy name for something else, or is it actually yeah, a type? It, it is. Be it is. And I think chromium. we actually discussed this in a. I think Aiden and I actually discussed this in a, a previous episode of of the nib yes, section. <laughs> the chromium eighteen nib is just an alloy of stainless steel that contains chromium. <laughs> so yes. it's it is stainless steel. It's stainless steel. Clever branding. Um, it's very very clever branding. It's they are nice nibs i will say they're very nice steel nibs but they are not made out of pure chromium chromium so is far too reactive so across all of the different materials used for nibs aside from flexibility is there any real difference with all of these materials because at the end of the day most nibs have tipping material at the end and that's really what you're feeling as you're using the pen yeah yeah that's true when you mention flexibility it's not just flexibility but softness now um, when you write over paper, no matter how smooth that paper is, you'll have little tiny microscopic bumps. And those bumps are magnified through the nib.
nib and up to your hand, and that's what we perceive as scratchiness or sometimes feedback. If you have a nib that's got quite a bit of softness, that kind of acts as a shock absorber like suspension in a car. So if you have a nib, like one of the reasons why Visconti's palladium nibs are so popular is because they are soft, mainly because of the purity of the palladium in those nibs. And so it allows them to kind of ride over those bumps without jolting. And so that's why it feels so super smooth. Now, every time we talk about soft nibs, I'm going to mentally imagine um, this car with a really soft suspension. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it kind of, it's, it's a good metaphor to think of when you think of about why is a particular, I know a lot of people prefer soft nibs not to flex them, but just because they like to write with a soft mm-hmm. nib. And, and I think part of that is because they're less likely to catch on these tiny little microscopic bumps on the paper and therefore feel much, much smoother. Oh, great. Okay. Yeah. Let's move on then to the different topic, grinds. So if you start off with your basic, you know, your Lamy Safari or your Pilot Metropolitan, they generally come in two or three different nib sizes. But those are the most common nib sizes on fountain pens today, maybe an EF, fine and a medium. But historically, I think um, fountain pens, they come in quite a wider range of different types of grinds. And today we have some custom pen makers and more niche brands, which have a very wide variety of nib sizes and nib grinds so tab do you want to go through some of them with us sure sure i mean i'd like to just start off mentioning what's tipping material because it was mentioned before so if you oh, yeah. if, if anyone is at home um, and they've not heard of tipping material before have a look at a pen and you'll see a little blob at the very tip of the nib and that blob is a mixture of metals it's, it's another alloy in itself they often you'll hear it colloquially called iridium but very rarely does iridium actually contain the metal iridium normally it will contain a mix of osmium, ruthenium, sometimes platinum, basically a platinum group metals that are very hard, unlike the rest of the nib, and are resistant, uh, very resistant to wearing down. So they can just glide across the paper without uh, wearing a flat spot into them. And and eventually, most nibs will wear a flat spot into them. They don't, well, they don't last forever, but we're talking 50, 60 years. Or if you use it all day, every day, maybe a few years before you start to see any change in it. And, and that's that's a, uh, some people say that, you know, you should never lend your pen to someone else because they'll wear down the iridium in a slightly different way to how you've done it. And so it'll wreck the pen. I don't believe that for a second, unless you're going to lend it to them, unless you're going to lend it to them for a whole year to use all day, every day, in which case then, yeah, you probably will see a difference. It does depend on the paper that they use as well and how much pressure they use. But yeah, so that's tipping. It's a very hard material. It's at the the end of the nib and you can get, get different, different sizes of tipping and some nibs don't have tipping. So for example, uh, Patrick's Lamy doesn't have tipping. It's just um, very hard steel. So it will take a long time to wear down, but at the end of the day, it will wear down after a little while of use. So the standard shape of nibs, the nib tipping, so extra fine, fine, medium, broad, that's just a ball on the end of the nib. If you if you look at it under a magnifying glass, you'll often see it's a, a round blob of tipping material. That's how most pens come. And then you've got a stub and the italic nibs. Stub basically means that it's slightly squared off, but it's not completely square. So it's still quite smooth. And what that allows you to do is when you write, the downward strokes will be wider than the cross strokes. So it'll give your writing a bit of flair. And italics are more exaggerated than that. So they have a bit of a sharp edge on the front. um, And that allows you to do uh, a little bit of calligraphy when you write. It makes your writing look really nice. And formal italics, they have a really sharp 
like mm. razor-like edge that oh, allows goodness. you to do calligraphy. They, they really aren't. I mean, you can get you can get steel dip pen nibs that are formal italic, and they're not for daily writing. I'll tell you that they really aren't. With calligraphy, it's very slow. You can't do fast calligraphy unless you're doing well. Not this particular type of calligraphy. You can't do this one fast. So yeah, they're not they're not for daily use. But a cursive italic or a stub, they're great for daily use. They give your writing a, a bit of a, a nice look. And sometimes people, you know, they, they, they immediately think you're a calligrapher just by if you scribble something down with an italic nib. So they're really lovely. Um, and they give and, you and um, most, fancy writing. Yeah, yeah they, they make your light running look really lovely. Some Most of the time you'll have to have this done by a person who uh, reshapes the tip of the nib. Um, but some pen companies uh, like Visconti, I think Omas did it for a while. Pelican Aurora sometime. Well. Aurora, Aurora does, yeah. There's, there's DuPont, I think. Um, well. They did very few of them, but they did, yeah. Um, and they, they do stub nibs as well that are probably done by machine and they're finished off by hand so they're not too sharp. And there's also um, some pen brands, their broad nibs, their broader nibs have a kind of stub or italic-like quality. So Aurora, Montblanc, Pelican, their very broad nibs actually have a stub-like quality to them. Yes. Leo Fock on Instagram, I think he, he was talking about an Aurora BB recently and he was describing it as basically a stub, a, a wider stub than the actual Aurora stub. And I'm actually really keen to get my hands on one of those. Actually, to be oh, I actually own you one. You have one, don't you? Yeah, yeah, I have one. Oh, I have wow. one. And it is a very... It is a stub. It's very much a stub. If you look at the nib material, it looks like a hammerhead shark. It's ridiculous, um, but it's super smooth. It's wonderful to write with. It had a baby's bottom, which we'll get into later, but yeah. uh, that's a slight defect in the tipping of the nib that can make it skip. But it's it's a beautifully smooth nib, and it's very, very, very broad. I think you'll I think you'll you need to write big with it. Mm, okay, that goes on the wishing list. Okay, next up, I think we have also some other specialties like what exactly is an architect grind okay an architect grind um you might sometimes see them referred to as a um a hebrew grind or a sometimes a sanskrit grind what it basically is it's like a, a stub that's been rotated 90 degrees so what, rather than making the front edge blunt to make it square mm-hmm. they'll actually file material off the sides of the nib so that it kind of looks like a like highlighter. a highlighter yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you guys get your hi- get a highlighter and look at look at the nib from front on you'll kind of see this chisel shape and you'll and that's kind of what an architect nib is like in fact, I actually have an, an, an architect nib that I ground that I use as a highlighter because mm-hmm. it's, they are handy to use as highlighters. But some people like the way they write. Um, they, personally, they don't suit my writing style and they are not often very smooth. Most of the time, they have to be specifically customized to your hand. If you write at a different angle, they can be very sharp and very unpleasant to write with. I actually have an architect on a medium pilot nib so it's a very very small architect grind but it still has some of the line variation expect it's not as uncomfortable to use it doesn't have those sharp edges that you would see with a larger size architect and i'm really enjoying that one for a day-to-day writer doesn't work well for cursive 
but really, really quite nice for uh, print. Who did that medium architect grind for you, Sharon? Uh, John Mottershaw did it, and he tends to grind his architects a little bit at a lower angle rather than Dan Smith architects, which tend to be at a bit more of a higher angle and a bit more customised to your own handwriting angle. So I write at quite a low angle. Therefore, I find the Mottershaw architects more suitable for my style. Those ones, um, they're very difficult to do as well. I think you'll find a lot of Nibmeisters will charge a bit more with them because they're very fiddly, um, especially to make smooth. One of the reasons I said it's, it's like a stub that's been rotated 90 degrees is because it'll give you a narrow downstroke and a broad cross stroke, just for those at home who haven't used one before. I have a broad architect that was ground by Dan Smith. And I remember very specifically, he needed from me a photo of the angle that I held my pen to do the grind. And I I think I'll generally hold my pen at a fairly low angle. And this one, it works pretty well for me. I think you've tried it, Sharon. Yes, I have. Uh, I quite like the one that you've got. Um, I have a couple which are probably not as smooth as the one that you've got, but I also have a few I just absolutely adore. Okay, next up, what about the needlepoint nib? Does anyone, has anyone tried one of those? I have. Is there anything different from between a needlepoint and just a really, really, really extra fine nib? So the needlepoint that I've tried was on a DuPont. I had a DuPont ground down to a needlepoint by Mike Masuyama many years ago. Um, The DuPont nib itself is quite a rigid nib and the needle points personally I think work better on a more rigid nib so for those who don't actually know what a needle point is it's basically a nib that's been ground down so that it feels almost like a needle it's a very very fine point and I I don't have very large handwriting I, I quite enjoy the finer nibs the needle point is a very difficult to control nib it's one that you can't press too hard on you can't use almost any pressure on it because it just feels terrible. It feels like you're using a needle. But if you write with a very light hand or you have a pen such as a DuPont, which is a very heavy pen as it is, um, that can write on its own weight and you're not putting any pressure on it, it writes very similar to a rollable without having to use any pressure. I've seen comparisons, um, writing comparisons between the Mike Masuyama needlepoint and the platinum just factory ultra extra fine, the UEF. And I think I've seen that the platinum ultra extra fine or the Nakaya ultra extra fine is actually finer still than the Matsuyama needle point. Yeah, it is. Um, The ultra extra fine is one of the finest nibs you'll be able to get. I, I'm actually not a fan of it personally. I. I, I just find it very, very scratchy and it might be because of the angle that I'm using it at or that there's so little tipping material on there that it's almost impossible to have a soft or a smooth spot on there. I think uh, they're just very easy to get the tines um, crossing over each other or just com- completely misaligned when you're using the ultra extra fine on the platinum? I I haven't actually found that the tines cross over each other. For me, I just, I think the line is so fine that I always seem to squint at it and go, what am I even writing now? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Invisible writing. It's invisible writing and it's, they don't tend to be very wet writers. They're 
are more on the dry side. So there's no, there's no ink lubrication to make that writing experience more right. pleasant, to be honest. <laughs> okay. A type of grind that you see in some brands like Pelican, Parker, Montblanc, but less so nowadays, I think, are the obliques, the left foot and right foot obliques. What were they, what was the thought behind having oblique nibs? Uh, well, some people, when they write, they tend to tilt the pen or rotate it a little bit in their hand. And because of that, you'll see the nib, it's actually cut at an angle. So rather than looking like either a, like a, a squared end or a round end, you'll see one side of it slightly filed away. And that allows you to write with the nib at a certain angle. And in some cases, it also gives your writing a bit of an odd little slant to it, which looks very pleasant. It takes some so getting some used to, I find. It definitely does. And, and some people, that's how they write. They just tilt the pen when they write. And that's and for them, obliques are great. I only own one oblique pen and I really like it, but you're right. It did take me a long time to get used to it. Okay. We also have a lot of specialty nibs, especially from the Japanese makers, like posting nibs and fude nibs and the very exotic naginata um, nibs, which are ground by one particular, I think, nibmeister. They come with a markup and they, some of them, especially the naginata nibs, I think are very hard to get nowadays because they're no longer in production. But we are running a little bit behind on time. So if you would like some visuals, if you would like more information, check up our show notes. Um, there's also a link to a video that Mike Madison has that gives a good overview of different nib grinds. Sometimes talking about nib grinds over a podcast is not necessarily the best way to understand what they are. You'll get a better idea of what they look like how they write and so on if you have a look at the video so go and check that out i just wanted to say something a little bit about this the japanese specialty nibs i I probably wouldn't have gone into them in grainy great detail because i would suggest that if you'd like to have a look at how they write i would i would invite you to go to nibs.com that's john modishaw's website he's got some great resources that have writing samples to demonstrate what each of these unusual nibs look like because some of them are very very strange the shape of the nib and the line that they produce is very strange so if, if you feel feel intrigued um have a browse on the internet and find them because they are they're quite unusual absolutely I'll, um we'll also- i'll also put a plug in here for a youtube channel and also a blog called parker blogs he's reviewed a number of the sailor specialty nibs on youtube as well as on his blog excellent so off the topic of nibs, let's get into some mailbag and also some news. From a listener in the UK, we received an email and he writes, Hi Chuck, Montano, Max Schumacher, Sharon Zah and Dinah Dye. The Nib Section podcast is becoming my favourite podcast with a wide range of news and information on pens, ink and paper. The podcast crew have so much fun talking about their pens, even those with a dark passion for still nibs. I'm an international... <laughs> doesn't even mention me at the start, but still throwing shade. Okay then. <laughs> Okay, Um, back to the email. Um, He writes, I'm an international listener and have been visiting family in Western Australia since 1983 from the old country, in brackets, UK, every three to four years. I collect and use vintage pens from the 1970s, 80s and 90s, including a Schaefer Targa from Australia. We all have to clean out our old and new pens, so a topic for the podcast on cleaning pens would be helpful. My pick for recommendations for TV is Sea Change, the vintage Australian TV show, and from modern TV, the code great podcast john from devon john i completely agree with your recommendations for tv both sea change and the code sea change as i think a show that a lot of us watched in the 90s or it might have been the early 2000s and the code is a fairly recent espionage drama set in canberra from 2015 or 2016 
which is also really great. So great taste, John. I completely support your recommendations. As for your suggestion that we do an episode on how we clean and maintain our pens, I think that's something that you might learn a bit more from watching videos, but we'd be happy to run down some tips and tricks and maybe do's and don'ts through um, one of our Q&As. So watch out for that. I'll definitely put that in our list as something to discuss in our next um, question and answer section. But thank you so much, John, for your review. And if you have any feedback or suggestions for our podcast, we welcome you to email us at thenibsection at gmail.com. So our second topic, let's talk about flex, baby. Um, This is a very um, controversial topic, I think, among this community where there is a little bit of an exoticization, I think, of line variation and old style vintage flax nibs so i think both of you have strong opinions about this what do you think about this rage around flax nibs so with flex a die i think you've got it in one it's all about the line variation and i think a lot of it has to do with when we write naturally there are certain uh, strokes that we use which would cause us to apply different amounts of pressure and what flex sort of does is it turns it up and amplifies it so that when you are using more pressure the line that comes out of your pen becomes wider and becomes broader and it adds a bit more character to your writing. It makes it very obvious that you're using a fountain pen. (laughs) Absolutely. It's got that old timey feel where if you're looking at um, like John Hancock's signature from way back, you can tell that they were using something that wasn't just a ballpoint or wasn't just a rollable pen. So I think that has part of the appeal, which is the historic significance. And also it's an easy way that um, for you to dress up your writing without really even thinking about it because you would apply some pressure normally. Sure, there are naturally slightly heavier strokes when you write. It depends on your writing style. Personally, I don't tend to put much more pressure when I write, for example, a downstroke. However, there are some people that will buy a flexible nibbed pen and deliberately apply a lot of pressure on those downstrokes to to make huge fat swells of lines in an attempt to make their writing look like copper plate um, or to look like some kind of pointed pen calligraphy. Um, so if, you, if you're naturally, you know, put a little bit extra pressure on the downstroke and you like a flexible nib because it gives your writing a little bit of extra flair, I think, I think it's a little bit different to somebody who's gone onto the Fountain Pen Network website and read about how people demand that their nibs be flexible. I mean, that's, I've seen people who, when they review a pen, they put the nibs flexibility out of 10 and therefore, unless it has a wet noodle nib, it won't get a perfect score because, you know, performance, flow, Mm-hmm. design, aesthetics all get, Not you know, important. marks out of 10. They, well, well, no, they, they're, they're all important. They all get marks out of 10. That's four out of five characteristics. All and right. then there's flex, which is else out of 10. So... Mm-hmm. Flex might be five out of 10. So even if you've got a perfect pen, otherwise, if it's not a wet noodle, super mega flexy yeah. nib, it'll only get 45 out of 50. So, Because mm. not all yeah, pens it's, are it's, designed think, to flex. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, but, and even if a pen is designed to flex, I find that some people have a bit of a misunderstanding on how far they're supposed to flex. I have seen so many vintage nibs either sprung, as in bent out of alignment, or uh, even cracked because the, the metal can't take it anymore. And you you get a change in the structure of the metal that results in the nib, the nib actually hardening and cracking. 
cracking, like if you bend a paperclip too many times. I find it quite depressing thinking of all the vintage actual flex nibs that have been destroyed in the process of people trying to flex them beyond their capacity. Um, yep. Because you're um, not going to get those nibs back. back. Yeah, exactly. And and you they can be repaired to an extent, but there's yes. only so much a, a really, really experienced nib welder can do. I actually came across an advertisement for a vintage Waterman pen. It was an advertisement as in a uh, contemporary one. So, sorry, I meant what I meant to say, it was contemporary to the vintage pen. So mm-hmm. this is from the early 20th century. Yeah. And it talks about how the the Waterman artist's pen, which is what people would normally call a wet noodle now because it's got a very long, thin nib that flexes very easily, which is to say that it's soft and flexible. People like, for some reason, wet noodles, which are, which is a, te- a contemporary term for a nib that requires very little pressure to deform the nib and then spring back. However, those ones, because they're soft, they're also, that it's very hard to feel where that point of no return is. And so they mm-hmm. kind of keep approaching that point of no return before one day. All it takes is just that little bit extra flex and boom, you've either work hardened the nib and it's going to start to crack or it'll spring and it needs to be bent back into shape, which in turn will weaken it. This advertisement was talking about how a Waterman nib, this particular nib can vary from a filament to over... I can't remember. It was in it was in inches, but it goes from so, a filament to 0.9 of a centimeter. So of, of so a millimeter. It was a selling point. Sorry. It was a selling point even yeah, back then. It was. It was definitely. However, those pens were not the norm necessarily. Most nibs had a little bit of flexibility because of how they were made, um, and some were made to be flexible. But what the the important part of this advertisement, I think, is the fact that it said it's designed to be flexed from a filament, so a hairline, super needle point, to 0.9 of a millimeter, which is about a western broad so if you're flexing your nibs beyond a western broad Mm -hmm. it's not what they're designed to do and the waterman artists pens are some of the most flexible sorry some of the softest nibs available at the time so that's what i mean about um being careful with your with your flex nibs if you're going to be using that flexibility keep that in mind because if you're going past that point it's beyond what the nib was designed to be capable of and this is this is and i know that for example i've read articles by david nishimura who's a fantastic vintage pen collector and restorer he i believe shares this this belief that flex nibs short were designed to be flexed however not as much as a lot of modern people use them for and i've fallen for it before when i was a a novel fountain pen user there were websites that showed videos of the the vendors flexing the hell out of these nibs to get this ridiculous juicy fat lines and when you look at when i look at it now i think i almost hear the metal crying out in pain it's it's almost grotesque the amount that people use it just because you can flex them like that doesn't mean you should. Exactly. Yeah. And another thing is also people don't always realize this, that they are only designed to be flexed on the downstroke. So if you're dragging the nib across whilst flexing Ouch. it, even just a tiny bit, when you go sideways or up, there must be no pressure. Absolutely no pressure. The nib must, the tines must be back together again, unless you're going directly vertical because... And by what I mean by vertical is in parallel to the slit of the nib. Any other direction puts uh, an, an undue amount of force on either side of the pen and you can end up with cracking in the tines because of that as well because it's putting the wrong kind of strain on it. So they're very delicate little things. And, and whilst I say I don't, it's not like I don't like flex nibs. I know a lot of people in Fountain Pens Oceania and Fountain Pens Australia will go, uh-huh, Tav doesn't like flex. <laughs> the the thing about them is what I'm not I'm not a big fan of is this craze about getting as much 
pressure onto a flex nib as possible and pushing it to the point where it breaks. And because these things, as you said, die, they, they don't come back. Um, I have cracked a flex nib before when I was very new to vintage pens. I cracked it because I flexed it as much as the vendor displayed it to be able to do. And it ended up developing a small crack. It still writes. And I sent it to uh, Greg Minuskin, who welded the crack shut, but it's not been the same. It really hasn't. So what I'm saying to the take home message out of this is keep that in mind that they are not designed to be like stainless steel dip nibs, which are disposable. They're very precious. They're very delicate. So be gentle with your your flex nibs. They are antiques. Great. I think we've pretty much exhausted that question for um, (laughs) the moment. Um, I really want to add one thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. At one thing. So a lot of the time when people like using flex nibs, it is because they like that line variation on the downstroke and they like that downstroke to be as wide as possible. You can actually achieve the same type of effect through just tracing in a broader downstroke. And that's what I've found has actually worked really well for me because I tend to like really rigid nibs, funny enough. Um, For for my day-to-day, I really like rigid nibs and I like a bit of softness when I have the time to try and write pretty and I put that in quotes Um, but you can actually just get the same type of effect with a little bit more effort just by filling in your downstrokes or just use a dip nib (laughs) or use a dip nib they're terribly scratchy or a stub I wouldn't say that you get the same effect with a stub it's not the same you're right you're right very different it's very different. Um, I think you can actually get a more similar effect through a brush pen than a stub. That's true. Yeah, that's true. You can get some great effects with a brush pen. Okay. The nib section now has an Instagram, thanks to Mark and Sophia, who are manning that Instagram. You can go and see some behind-the-scenes photos as well as check for updates on www.instagram.com slash the nib section, and you can follow us for photos and I'm not sure exactly what material you can expect from there, but I'm pretty sure that it will be fun and very much pen related. So (laughs) go and follow us on Instagram. Um, The other item of news is that I've been listening to a new podcast about pens that's entered the scene. So the BYOB Pen Club, it's created by um, a bunch of friends. I think people who've met one another through the the pen show community. Pen yeah, Addict Slack, I think it was. They they organized, I think, through the Pen Addict Slack, but a mm. lot of them have met each other through the pen shows in the US. So they're, they're not just online buddies, but it's, I think, something that's grown out of post-pen show drinking and socializing and just general tomfoolery after the show, which sounds like a great deal of fun if the, if the podcast is any indication. Um, they're very knowledgeable and they're very, very amusing. And um, I think they sound like a great bunch of people that I'd love to meet in real life. So go and check them out. They're at www.byobpen.club slash episodes. So we received some questions on Fountain Pens Oceania related to nibs. And I'm just going to run through these FAQs quickly and let's see how many of these we can get down. So first of all, from Quentin Bell, his question is, how would you alter a nib to make it wetter or drier? Well, there are two things that affect the wetness and dryness of a nib apart from the ink. One is the feed and one one of them is the slit down the middle. Making the feed wetter is a bit fiddly. Sometimes you can accidentally wreck the feed. So be very careful with doing that. Sometimes you can slightly widen the very 
very thin channels in the feed. But with the nib, essentially, you can increase the distance between the tines. So you can widen the slit of the nib. And that's essentially how you would make a, a nib wetter or drier. If you, you know, to, to make it drier, you just need to push the tines back together so that the slit is narrower, so it doesn't allow as much ink to flow through. But there's a very happy margin because if you make it too dry, then it won't write at all. And if you make it too wet, then it will start to skip. Isn't that right? When you when you write. Yes, it. exactly. Next question from Maria Tan. Um, are there independent people out there who can put tipping material onto pens and nibs, i.e. people who aren't part of the big manufacturing companies? I've heard there are a few people who can weld or re-tip pens, but it is an extremely expensive process. Um, I think there's a guy yes. in Spain yes. who does it. Yeah, there are three people that I know of. There is a group of people in Spain called goldnibs.com, I think. They can weld new tipping onto pens. John Modishaw can do it at a great cost. And Greg Minuskin can do it. He's actually done that with one of my pens, a Wall Eversharp Doric, that was absolutely mangled by its previous owner. So he did a, a pretty good job of restoring the nib and putting some tipping back onto it. Um, but it was pretty pricey, I will say, and it yeah. took quite a while. Yeah, it's almost more friendly just to get a new nib once you add in shipping. Yeah, sometimes. Of it yeah. depends. It depends if the, if, the, if it's a vintage nib, then it's probably worth getting it fixed for you know the fact that it's a it's a relic of True. the past. But you know it depends. And also, can I just say nine times out? No, probably ninety nine times out of a hundred, they'll only do it with gold nibs. Steel nibs. If you got the tipping wrecked of a steel nib, get a new one. Yeah, not worth the trouble. Yeah, exactly. Um, Maria also asked us, could you guys discuss a little about the Sailor Specialty nibs? Have you used any of them, and how easily could someone get their hands on one? So we discussed earlier, there is good resources online for how the different specialty nibs from Sailor, how they write. I have tried quite a few of them. Um, the Naginata nibs, for example, are very nice, but very broad for what their yep. tipping size is. I think Sharon I have, has a whole set of the Naginata nibs. I have a nibs. whole set of the Naginata ones. The medium Naginata medium fine is broader than the Sailor standard broad. Like, well, like heaps broader. It's about the size of a pelican broad, and that's their Naginata medium fine. The Naginata broad is a bit of a paintbrush. <laughs> um, I also it's have ridiculous, a... and I love it. <laughs> they're they're amazing, but they're not for everyday use. So I have well, a geez, not with that attitude. They're not. <laughs> well, okay, if you really want to, you try just it. you just you watch me. The thing with the Naginata nibs is that they're quite unique in how they're ground. They're very long. They've got very long lines, so they've got a lot of softness to them. But they're extremely wet, and the line changes depending on what angle you hold the nib at. Fantastic uh, yes. one. You've just got to try it in person. I, I have a Naginata MF now that I use almost exclusively for drawing because depending on the angle, you can get very fine, almost um, extra fine size lines or a very broad, almost like a paintbrushy sort of line with it. And you can vary it very easily as opposed to my Sailor Cross Emperor, which is a little bit more challenging and takes a lot more control to get line variation out of. But if you want to have a look at how all of these different types of Sailor nibs right you can check out nibs.com or you can ask us i think on fountain pens oceania well, across the three of us or maybe add in brian and brian saputra as well we've tried most of these nibs and i think leo fox also has a lot of experience with the dis- yeah. different specialty sailor nibs okay next question david brennan is asking is the cost of warranty the only thing stopping modern pen companies from making vintage style nibs no it's definitely not the only thing one of the big things is actually they don't remember how to make them like that anymore the manufacturer 
manufacturing processes for these were really subjective and they weren't documented. So because they were all proprietary and the companies just kind of threw that info out when they realized that making a stiffer nib with machinery rather than handiwork is cheaper and it minimizes, you know, after sales costs such as warranty claims. So, yes, it's true that warranty claims are part of it. But the fact is that modern manufacturing methods and modern metals are just different. So vintage style wet noodles are unfortunately a thing of the past, um, no matter how hard pen companies try. I think while you're saying that, I think one day we will get some, you know, entrepreneur type in the US who will start in their little garage a way of making wet noodles from gold nibs at a reasonable enough cost that we can in Australia, dream of acquiring one. And well, I look can, forward can, to that day. can I just say, you? I was believing you right up until you said reasonable cost. Can, can <laughs> I just say, it will not be. If you can find something that slots into that market that perfectly, that will have millions or thousands of people champing mm. at the bit, frothing at the mouth to get to this wet noodle, super mega ultra flex <laughs> nib, yeah. you're not going to be selling it for $99.99. <laughs> you mean $9.99? Well, you're going to be... be selling it for $99. 99.99. Oh, I'd be satisfied with <laughs> under 150, to be honest. Every time you see a, a new company starting up that makes some different type of flexible nib, you're not going to be yeah. paying 150. I will put a little plug here for the Desiderata Pen Company. They make hand-turned pens and they're designed to slot in Zebra G nibs. And they have an ebonite feed and they have an aerometric sack filling system. Some of them even have a plunger fill system. Some of them are eyedropper and they're really great. If you're desperate for a flexible nib, the nibs that you can use with these are disposable. They're quite cheap and they give you really beautiful fine lines and big thick swells and you can do calligraphy with them. Or if you don't want to use any pressure, then you could just do super, super fine writing. I sometimes actually take mine with me if I've got some calligraphy to do on the go. Like if I've got to go to work, but I've got to write a card for someone. So I'll, at lunchtime, I'll take out this desiderata pen and write, a, you know, write in copper plate with it. So next question, we have Sunel's question. Which companies would you recommend to try before you buy due to QC issues? I think um, we've already discussed Visconti before in an episode. Um, Those are pens, especially the broader nibs that they make. I would definitely not buy online or if you do buy it from a retailer that you know that you can get after sale service from uh i think the broader the nib size you uh, you're getting the better it is to try it out and i don't think it's exclusive to visconti i've seen it across cavecos i've seen it across twisbees just the mm. broader the nib you're getting the better it pelican is to try it out in person yeah. pelican omas can, can i also say i will also say that the um that also applies to the very fine end of the spectrum unless you're very experienced with fine libs um, like I Sharon agree. is. If you're looking for a nib that's really, really fine, I've seen it happen. People are like, oh, I, really, I want a really, really super fine nib. And then they try one. They're like, oh, this is awful because they so don't scratchy. like the feel. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Sometimes the people realize it's not for them. So I would dare say most pens that you should try before you buy, unless they're really super cheap. Things like Sailors and Auroras, because some people love that feedback. I personally don't mind it at all. But oh. some of them kind of feel like a lead pencil, like a hard lead pencil, which, which some people find lovely but others hate so it's things like sailor aurora things with feedback like platinum sometimes as well i'd try those before you buy and in all honesty try any pen that you really want to spend a lot of money on before you buy it truly yeah i think i think it's an issue of the nib sizing so (laughs) anything on the wider end or on the really fine end definitely try those and also anything that you're going to spend quite a lot of money on definitely try those so that's a good general rule of thumb also from sunel she has a question 
non-branded companies like Bok, etc., which are ones that you'd recommend and which pens are you able to swap out their nibs for? Well, there's actually quite a few companies that use third-party nibs. So Bok, for example, it's a German company, very old company. They make nibs for a huge amount of companies such as DuPont, Carandash, Bexley, Faber-Castell. And Visconti. And Visconti, you're right, actually, Visconti. Bok tend to be quite smooth. They also have a little bit of a tendency towards baby's bottoms but that's fixable and also if it, you know for a company like Karandash you're probably not going to get that because they probably fix it up at the factory uh, Yovo is another one spelled J-O-W-O they're actually probably my favourite third party nib manufacturer they make pens for a lot of companies such as Twisby Monteverde but they make the Goulet branded nibs that are very good quality a lot of custom pen makers use them I believe our very own James Finnis uses them because they're very very good they tend to be very very smooth uh, very stiff steel nibs. If, if they're steel, if they're gold, they're a little bit more, a little bit softer. But overall, they're they tend to be quite good nibs. And I think a common yeah. hack is to put these Bok or Yoro nibs into like cheap Chinese bodies, especially their piston style bodies, for example. So you get the benefit of the Chinese piston body with a, a nib that you can really rely on. Yeah, yeah, it's, and that's totally legit. Like I've done it before. It's it's really good. Um, if the nib's really good and you can fit it in another pen without damaging it, of course, then go for it, really. I haven't tried doing this myself. I've tried using some of these pens, but I don't know enough about nib sizing and bead sizes to attempt this process myself. Um, have either of you? I have. Um, and a lot of it's trial and error or ask the internet. It's just some nibs are compatible with other pens and most aren't. Number six nibs, it's a particular size of nib. That's the most common size oh, in the large Twisbees, I think, in Yovo nibs and in Jinhao nibs. So if uh, I've done it before, I've put a $15 Goulet nib, which is Yovo, in a $2 Jinhao and the thing writes beautifully. So there's no reason why you shouldn't do it. You know, that, that's why these nibs are sold by Goulet. And another one is I've swapped a black Yovo nib into this Schrade tactical pen. It's got like a glass breaker. It's jet black. It looks like if special ops teams used fountain pens, but it came with a silver nib. So I swapped a black Yovo nib into it and it looked really lovely and it writes even better than it did before. Yeah, I think Yono nibs in general, I think they're pretty well-made and reliable. I mean, they're not, they don't wow me like some of my favourite nibs, like the Omas and the DuPonts do, but they, they definitely oh, actually, work a lot better. You think DuPonts Actually, I should mention, Yoro? well, guess who makes Omas nibs? I, I thought it was different. So the, the Omas Bok. extra ones are, I think, in-house, but the more modern ones, I think, are Bok. Yeah, their modern nibs are actually Bok. Yeah, I'm not a but big But that fan doesn't mean the they don't do anything with them. It doesn't mean they don't do anything with them. Like the company will get the nibs and they will customize them to their specifications and then put them in the pens. It's not like they just grab it out of the bag and chuck it on the pen. Yeah, that's true. But I do find there's a bit of difference between the vintage Omas nibs and the modern rerun, the modern shapes. And I do prefer the old ones. Even their steel mm. nibs, I think, had, had a great feel to them when you wrote. Um the steel nibs were really bouncy, more than you'd expect from a steel nib. And I just really love those. But Tav, I think we, we have to lose you now because you have other commitments. 
Um, before I'm you afraid go, I do. <laughs> I'm so sorry, but I'm glad you were able to stay for the Q&A and hopefully we answered your question. Um, but if you didn't, you should go and comment on um, the Nib section Facebook page and leave your questions there and we'll try to get to them at another time. But for now, Tab, do you want to leave us with a recommendation, something that you're enjoying sure. at the moment? 100%. Um, I, well, I'll also just say if, if anybody has Nib questions, feel free to ask on the FPO page or you can contact me directly on Facebook. My name's Tav Sin on Facebook. It's not my real name, but I'll just put it like that. If you have Nib questions, you're more than welcome to ask me and I'm more than happy to answer them. I get questions all the time and I'm, I'm always happy to spread the knowledge about, about pens. And if other people weren't happy to spread their knowledge with me, then I wouldn't be you know, being interviewed now. So my recommendation for today is it is a film, but I want you to all go home if you haven't already. And if you have, just do it again and watch the director's cut of Blade Runner, please, because it's an amazing film and you need to enjoy it. <laughs> um, I've seen that yeah, just... many times, but maybe not the version. Yeah. There's so many. Um, it's yeah, the one without there, the unicorn. Like seven. Oh, okay. Oh, no, 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 no. This one has a unicorn. This one has a unicorn. What? Which director yeah. are we talking about? No, the Hollywood cut had the unicorn. There's like seven versions of the film there and is. each one is different. I think the, the director's cut is the is, is probably the one that, that I would recommend you go and watch. The the sequel is out in film in cinemas, I think, and it was pretty good. Um but I, I think the original just if if nothing else to see Rutger Hauer's improvised monologue at the end because that was it was a soliloquy actually it was it's goosebumps Amazing. inducing i have to say it's so um, it makes good. it in the back of my neck stand apparently, up and i get goosebumps all over apparently so, um, Rukuhaya, um improvised those lines. yeah it was it was yeah. mostly ad lib there was some of it that was written but then he just kind of went off the cuff and went yeah Amazing. i'm gonna i'm gonna do it this way and it, and it was just fantastic so yeah, yes can... do that and the next time you hear somebody counting four, five, and six, seven, you're not going to look at that exactly the same again. <laughs> well, that's a great recommendation. Thanks again, Tav. And um, I'm pretty sure we'll see you back on the podcast very soon. Of course you will. Of course you will. <laughs> Enjoy the rest of your evening. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Okay, we're going to have to continue on without Tav now, but let's go back to one particular question that maybe Sharon and I can talk a little bit more on, which is the sailor specialty nibs, simply because I feel like a lot of people, once they get to this topic, they feel completely overwhelmed because sailor produces so many different ranges of nibs and some of them really in very small amounts and at excruciating prices. And they're very hard to get, they're very expensive, and you just don't know whether or not you should be shelling out your money for these nibs. So do you have an opinion, Sharon? Uh, I do. And uh, okay, so I struggle with my opinion about these nibs because one part of me just looks at the nib design and goes, wow, these are amazing pieces of work. But then the other part of me goes, they're not practical at all unless you're planning on using them for artwork. They do tend to be very broad nibs. So Sailor's uh, Nagahara-san, uh, senior, was the one who designed most of the specialty nibs and he unfortunately away in 2015. So a lot of the production of these nibs have really slowed down because, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think his son is the only person who does do these specialty nibs now and okay. that is across all of their, the Concord, the King Eagle, the Cross Music, those types of specialty nibs. Whereas the Naginata Togi nibs are made by a few other nib meisters at Sailor and that production as of I think 2017 has slowed down significantly as well. Um, 
there's a waiting list all the way up until 2018 for those. I feel extremely deprived because I feel like I got into fountain pens just as Sailor pretty much stopped or very much slowed down production of these nibs. So it's left me with very little time to try and acquire the ones that I really want, like the King Eagle. I haven't even managed to try one of those, and I'm really, really desperate to get my hands on one. So Sailor used to actually do the entire nib set. They did a specialty nib set. It cost like about 21,000 USD. Wow. It had every single one of their specialty <laughs> nibs plus one pen body. So <laughs> it was an odd set. It came with, I think it was a king of pen ribbed body, but every single one of the nib units that you could sw- uh, swap onto the one pen body. But it was about $21,000. And I was fortunate enough to try <laughs> one of these sets when I was in Singapore back in 2008. And I mean, it was quite something. It's still, I'll stand by my position that they're not very practical for daily use. It's more of a, hey, guys, look at this. I've got this amazing pen that can write like a 6B, 6B type of um, a nib size because it's just so wet and so broad. It's not for it's not for daily use. Absolutely not. But they make me feel kind of warm and fuzzy just knowing that they're out there in the world and some of them are being used by um, maybe users in Japan or China who write amazing calligraphy with them or do incredible mm. artwork. I mean, that's part of the beauty, I think think of fountain pen nibs there is so much variety and different ways that a craftsman can alter the the feel and the responsiveness and the effect that you can produce from you know the same amount of metal and it's really something just very simple at the heart of it you know a bit of metal a feed something that produces capillary action and yet we can discern or our hand and eye can discern so much infinite variation from something like that this is what we all geek out about isn't it (laughs) (laughs) absolutely I mean it's one of those things where we could talk for a very long time about them but I will say the Naginata Togi nibs they're still um, you can still buy them these days they come at a bit of a markup but they're some of my favorite nibs I don't write a lot of uh, Asian characters but when I do it's the one pen that I'll pick up to use because it's designed to do that. It's also really good to use on a daily basis if you're planning on doing a bit of artwork or um, mm-hmm. just some larger size lettering. Yeah, they don't require any special training of your hand. They're really no. nice to use. Finally, I think, I think it's time to wind this to a close before we've had way too much to drink. Um, my fellow co-hosts, do you have any recommendations to sign off with? My recommendation is Chuck, the TV show, because one, we miss our own Chuck this week. <laughs> Things have just gone like, what? what on earth has happened? But I first started watching her, the movie, after last time's podcast oh. discussion around Alexa. And then I went on to something sort of in the same veins about supercomputers being downloaded onto humans and whatnot. And I started re-watching Chuck, which is a fairly old TV show. But gosh, I'd forgotten how good it was. It's quite entertaining. It's good for a couple of laughs. It's that spy espionage one where some guy gets a supercomputer downloaded into his own head and then he tries to manage his love life as well as his spy life and he gets embroiled into all sorts of good stuff. 
It's like the less tragic and less angsty version of the Matrix, isn't it? Like you get all these knowledge and these skills, but without the burden of being responsible for the savior of the whole world. Without the Keanu Reeves expression. Yes, basically. It's got a couple of laughs in it. (laughs) Yeah, it looks like a lot of fun. I've never watched it, but yeah, I know it very highly recommended. Patrick? My recommendation is thingiverse.com. It's a website database that basically has a huge amount of uploaded files for 3D printers. This could be anything between like mechanical parts, like certain size cogs and gears and so forth, wheel replacements. It can be pieces of jewelry or even like someone here just on the front page has made a November themed moustache ring that you can wear on your finger. Having access to a 3D printer is not exactly something that everyone's going to have. However, the Thingiverse is something that now that I myself, I know people that have 3D printers, I don't own one myself, but basically what I can do is whenever they do have free time, I can basically send them a link or the file itself that I've downloaded. A lot of this stuff is free. Some of it's paid, but there's going to be a lot of free files where you can just find stuff like very, very recently going into the... Are there any fountain pens that you can 3D print? Um, I've heard of people 3D... I'm going to perform a quick search. Just a second. Fountain. There must be. Um, like a holder. For yeah, yep, yep. Yep, we've got holders. We've got cases. And also, also another major thing in particular is that we have stands as well that you can 3D print and click and clip together and have like sort of a... a um, oh, pen stands. Yeah, an actual sort of stack so okay. you can display pens on your table. Um, another one is an organizer where you can have multiple pens as well as an ink bottle on it as well. Uh, I think this one in particular mm-hmm. is using an Irishizuku Kanpeki bottle on this one as well. And all this sort of stuff is just available here. Oh, someone's attempted to do a nib. I don't know how successful that's going to be. A plastic nib. Mm. An actual plastic nib. Maybe yeah. that's something you can fit onto your wink. Uh, I, <laughs> the only thing that it I'd be willing to... Better. The only thing I'd be willing to fit the wink into is a bin at this rate. Why but, have you not thrown that out? You just kept it to... I'm tentative. Know, Part of me feels like yourself I, I just haven't used it nearly enough. Like I need to, at some point, fill it with something and give it an honest go beyond these sessions of swearing I've had so far. You're such a masochist. It's, it's just, it's, <laughs> okay, well, of course I'm a masochist because I always end up using steel nibs anyway. <laughs> Don't you keep a bad bin? Um, I have a bad bin of stuff that I don't like. I mm. probably should, but honestly, like, I don't think I've had a fountain pen that has disgraciously disappointed me nearly as much as the wink has. Virtually everything else is, like, understandable. Like, maybe it's a really, like, an extra fine that I don't particularly like. Maybe it's really sharp that I know that someone else might enjoy. But the wink is just bad. It is actively, <laughs> get- it, it is literally bad. I cannot imagine anyone enjoying this. <laughs> And yet, and yet, you haven't written it completely off. You are a much more generous man I, than, uh, than I am. I want to believe. I want to believe that the hundred dollars that Mastrop received for this thing wasn't completely wasted. So I'm actually, I'm actually going to come back to it later at some point. I'll have a full report for the dip section to see. Okay, just a slight tangent. The thing about the wink is the fact that it's called wink because it's meant to be using wine as ink. So the whole idea behind it isn't necessarily that it is just a glass nib. It's that the idea is that you're using anything that you can fit into Mm. this thing as an ink. And I will admit, I've written with wine and it looks gorgeous. Like the color variation like of a red wine, I think it was a Merlot. It wasn't nearly as red. It dried as sort of this blue 
blue-green changing phase color as you wrote. And it was gorgeous, but the only problem is that you basically ruin the page and anything underneath it when you write with it. And the line variation was basically schizophrenic. It was incredibly difficult to really use for anything sensible. It was more of a curiosity. But at the same time, I understand this might sound a bit silly, you know, being someone who uses fountain pens, but I wouldn't really spend a hundred dollars on a curiosity that I know wouldn't have much use beyond just going, oh, that's nice, and then never using it ever again. It sounds like it has problems with controlling flow, which doesn't surprise me really. Yeah. The difference in viscosity between something like orange juice and wine and actual ink or Indian ink is is so, you know, they're on different ends of the scale. So expecting yeah. one glass nibbed pen to work for everything when it's ink that's coming from a reservoir and not like dipped, it sounds pretty much an impossible task. Pretty you know, much, Designing yeah. one pen that would work for all materials. So uh, maybe the main, they just the, set themselves up for failure. Kind of. Like the main gripe I really have is the fact that the actual glass nib itself is really not high quality. Like it's, you can tell it's yeah. sort of been, it feels mass produced because the very tip of it is not rounded. It's actually got sharper points on it and it just doesn't feel right. It I, sounds like, it sounds like you're not going to change your mind about it. Let's just like write it off. I, I will I will actively say I will give it another go, but only okay. one go, and I will right. basically come in screaming in case you really want to know what ends up happening. And then we can we can put it onto a bonfire with Sharon um divine proportions and <laughs> we can say good riddance to pens that do not work. Yeah, we'll actually make an event out of it. <laughs> I'll give my recommendation, which is an artist online. She's a textile designer and also an illustrator. Her name is Edith Rewa. I think she's based in Australia. Based on her illustrations, I think she probably has some training in scientific illustration, but her designs are incredibly beautiful and they're coloured in these really, they're not high fashion, but they're just very gorgeous and really easy to wear colours. Her designs, they come in scarves and I think cards as well as bags and maybe even some items of clothing. I think they make really great gifts. People who like Australiana, who like like a personal touch because they're, they're manufactured in very small scale. But um, you should check her, her stuff out at on Instagram. I'll put a link up to her website and also her Instagram in the show notes. Her name is Edith Rewa, R-E-W-A. And with that, we've come to the end of this podcast. So thank you both, Patrick and Sharon. Um, no for joining me this Saturday evening. It's now way into the night, um, <laughs> but I had a good time chatting to you guys. Good, good. Always a pleasure. Same here. Future episodes of this podcast can be found at the knit section. Hop onto iTunes, rate us, review us, recommend us to your friends. If you want to share your thoughts, suggestions, or feedback, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at the nib section at gmail.com. You can also comment at us on the nib section Facebook page or at the nib section on Twitter. We also have an Instagram now, instagram.com slash the nib section. The nib section is the official podcast of Fountain Pens Oceania. Our producers this episode were Diana Dai, Tabit Sinanian, Max Schumacher, Patrick Antolovich, and Denise Tang. Recording and editing was done by Patrick Antolovich and Denise Tang. Our music was composed by Michael Pierce. Our logo was designed by Will H. Smith, with artwork by Melissa Graff. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.